Welcome to Reactive. Uh, I'm Khalil, and I'm here with uh, with Raquel. Hi, everyone. And Henning. Hey, how's it going? Hello. So, first, the, our first topic on the list today is alphabet. So, A B C. Yeah. One, two, three. Do, 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 do. Okay, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> what do you think about the alphabet? Um, I think it's I think it's very nice uh, that that there's all the letters in one place. Yeah, but that's are we talking about just one alphabet, or are we talking about all of the alphabets? There are so many alphabets out there, but I think pertinent to this podcast in particular is google's new alphabet well isn't it alphabets google oh touche uh. touche <laughs> uh it is it is but i mean google created alphabet so that it could be under alphabet and alphabet would be the parent company and that's all very confusing yeah. but interesting at the same time I, i've never really heard of a company i mean i guess I guess companies do it all the time, but nothing so big as Google. I mean, it's it's a huge thing, right? Like like basically saying because my understanding is that now this allows Google to kind of separate all of the extra businesses that it's or companies that it's bought and kind of put them under the Alphabet heading as opposed to the Google heading. And so there are, there are healthcare stuff and there are robotic stuff and their, you know, insert totally random thing here stuff doesn't have to be under the Google namespace anymore. Now it's under the Alphabet namespace. So it's basically a like a holding company or, or something. Exactly. Yeah, My so understanding it's one big it, umbrella. Okay. It's an umbrella company. Yeah. 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 So whether that's for tax evasion purposes or, you know, uh, totally insert other silly theories here. Um, I, I don't know. I, I actually probably, I think it's probably more that it's Google employees are feeling really disjointed because my understanding is you, you get it when you apply for a job at, at Google, you go through all these interviews. And then once you get your job, it's not necessarily clear where you're going to work. You just get put onto a team. And if you go in thinking you're going to be working on, I don't know, search, but then end up on some healthcare team, like it's just really different, and it does, no longer feels like you're part of Google, what Google was originally created to be, and so maybe this is just an easier way to say, okay, you're going to be applying specifically for these jobs in this, you know, sector of the company, and you won't be called Google anymore, and that's okay. So they're actually going to break up the existing. I guess departments or whatever you want to call them into individual companies or just um, the things that they acquired are going to go into a separate entity or something like that. Does, is that clear? I have no idea. That's a really good question. I don't know if it's, if Google's going to be splitting itself up or if it's just going to be, cause like nest, for example, is going to be under the heading of alpha of alphabet as opposed to under Google. Yes. So, so actually, uh, so <clears throat> Nest is a good example. Nest is going to be its own company underneath Alphabet. Google is going to be its own co- company underneath Alphabet. Uh, with its and each of those companies, they're going to have their own CEO. 
So uh, Google CEO, so Sundar Pichai, I think is his name, is going to become Google CEO now. And mm. he already had a super high executive role in in Google anyway. He was he was really uh, taking care of a lot of the the technical teams or whatever. I'm I don't know <clears throat> exactly, but he was he was already. Uh, there was even a rumor that Twitter was looking at him as a CEO for Twitter because they're looking for a new CEO, and then and and that that accelerated the creation of this Alphabet uh, company so that he be can become CEO CEO of Google. But that's some weird conspiracy theory. I, I have there's there's no factual backing for this, and um, yeah, and so so basically the companies that don't fit into Google that have nothing to do with web and ads and this kind search. of search. Exactly. Mm -hmm. uh, and you know, all the stuff that they bought um, is going to be, they're going to be their own company and they're going to be also more free to, um, to make their own decisions and to go, you know, have their own strategy and stuff like that. There's nothing where they don't have to check with Google leadership and whatever Google does. For instance, YouTube, is going to stay underneath Google. Right. Yeah. Uh, right. And there was another big one. I'm not remembering right now. <clears throat> yeah. But or Gmail and all of those yeah, that's services all as yeah. well. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So everything that's web and search and stuff like mm -hmm. that, the classic, like the web services and stuff like that, that sprung out of Google, they're definitely mm -hmm. all going to be staying in Google. But, you know, like Nest is something completely, the self driving cars are going to be something else and also um google x so the incubator that they had where you mm. know like, i think self-driving cars and uh and other crazy stuff came from um although self-driving cars i think is also a company they bought so i'm not sure but google x is an incubator where they uh try to think of crazy new sh shit basically to um to 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 try and that's also going to be its own entity underneath alphabet Cool. As far as I know. That sounds cool. I mean, it's still kind of a huge, huge change because everybody just knows Google as the massive thing. Um, will Android still be under Google? Do we know? <clears throat> I guess so because it's all using. Good question. I think I, I think it is. I think that was the other okay. big thing that's staying under, underneath Google. Okay. But I am not sure. And everybody who has Google shares – is going to have alphabet shares. It's just going to translate oh. to alphabet shares and stuff. Yeah. But they're keeping the same st the same uh ticker name, G O O G. Yeah. They're yeah. not changing. It. <laughs> so that's just going to be really confusing going forward, but <laughs> Yeah. Oh, but oh. but they have a great URL, I think. Does that help them with with um this the uh the Europeans that are always very um, you know, antitrust? laws kind of stuff uh that's that a they're good broken question. up into smaller companies and they're not so big anymore mm, maybe the only thing is that google none of those companies even all of them put together at least in the u.s don't violate any sort of monopoly laws so i i don't know <laughs> okay. no i don't think it changes because google still is the monopoly in search for instance which which is the big problem for europe right mm. That's what the, Why doesn't everyone just use Bing? <laughs> exactly, or DuckDuckGo. Yeah, or Yahoo. I hear Yahoo has a search. It's Bing. 
Oh, is it really? <laughs> it, <laughs> oh my God. it was like a year ago. So I th yeah, they no, I think yeah, they changed that like two years ago or something. They just outsourced their search technology to Bing. <laughs> yeah, who's like, you know what? We're just never going to win the search thing. Just <laughs> get rid of it. Let's do. Let's like focus on Tumblr. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and like, uh, and like, uh, what's the CEO's name again? Uh, uh, which one? Uh, Yahoo, Marissa Meyer. Yeah, Marissa Meyer. Yeah, and her, uh, yeah. focus on her being a celebrity or something. Oh. <laughs> <clears throat> <laughs> <laughs> well, she is. She's kind of. Uh, she's. She's kind of. Uh, I don't know. It seems like she, that she's been talked about a lot. Almost like she's a celebrity, but actually not yeah. anymore that much. <clears throat> no, no. She things have have uh, quieted down quite a bit. Yeah, quite a bit. Yeah, I don't know what's going on there, but that's a different different topic. So alphabet, yeah, yeah, alphabet, yeah. So so they have yeah. a great URL. Do you know their URL? ABC.xyz. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I love like, that. It's great. Well, apparently, apparently, I think it's okay. I'm about to do the huge. I think it's BMW. I think it's BMW owns Alphabet.com. So oh, okay, and they have zero desire to get rid of it for. I have no idea why. Why does BMW want Alphabet.com? I don't know. Um, uh, but they also don't. But uh, Alphabet, the guys don't care because it's not a consumer-facing company. Right. At all. Right. No, totally. Yeah. Totally. So anyway, speaking of consumer-based companies. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> nice. <laughs> nice transition. Thanks. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, so, so. I love Slack. Uh, if you haven't joined our, our reactive Slack yet, what are you waiting for? Join us. Um, yeah, exactly. But one of my – so Slack is an amazing company and they're huge, 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 huge um, in terms of just how quickly they've risen from zero to like ubiquitous. Um, they're just – I have like – I feel like I have 20 Slack channels, but I think I'm not actually kidding. I, I have almost 20 Slack channels at this point. Um but one of the things that Slack purchased recently, uh, back in January, but most people don't necessarily know about it yet, is this app called Screen Hero. And it is absolutely my favorite screen sharing app. Um, our team is kind of partially remote. It's not, it's not like half remote in terms of the company, but my, my specific team is actually half remote. And um, Screen Hero is this amazing app that lets you share your screen with another person. There's no video uh, except for the screen sharing. So it's all audio based, but you can have two people or actually you can have more than two people looking at the same piece of code at the same time. And everybody has their own mouse and everyone has control of the keyboard. So you can, it'll, it's literally like a pairing environment, but from anywhere in the world, as long as you have internet access and it is so beautiful, just yeah, as long as you have like a good, it's so great. Oh my goodness. We sit there and I'm just like, okay, can we pair on this code? And I have colleagues in Seattle or in Boston and we can look at the code directly, like the two of us at the same time. And they'll be like, I'm not really sure where to go here. And I can start typing or I can say, I don't know where to go here. And they can start typing and it's all in the same, like it's a little freaky because you see like this little mouse cursor that will like 
have the other person's name on it. So like if Henning and I are, are screen sharing, there'll be like a little mouse that says Henning. <laughs> <laughs> and then and then there'll be my mouse. A little mouse Hen- called Henning. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Oh goodness. Um and and so it's it's absolutely my favorite favorite app for for and working. Is that um, why exactly? Is that performance or just how it's designed or what? Um, it's can you explain seamless. that? It's totally seamless. Like I I just kind of share my screen, and then suddenly I see the little mouse called Henning, and <laughs> and, and and the the sound quality is as clear as this right now. Like what what you and I are saying right now, like it's that clear. And so it's like we're in the same exact room. The only thing is I can't see your face. Um, and that's fine because normally when you're pairing, you're just kind of like looking at the screen anyway. Um, and and it's it just it, – it's – I like that there's – there is a little bit of lag if, if, you're, if your connection isn't perfect. But even with a little bit of lag, you can get really, really far. Um, I like it better than Hangouts. Like Hangouts, when you're sharing your screen, only one person has access to that screen, the person who owns the computer. Um, Whereas with Screen Hero, you can actually two people are working on the same project at the same time using the same software, everything, and it, it, I don't know. I, I don't know what yeah, else. And Hangouts is it. a little is a little flaky because uh, at least the experience I've had that's the last one I tried to do mm-hmm. some stuff together um, with a programmer overseas, and the resolution sort of goes in and out. Um, right, it gets really really grainy and nasty, and then. You know, it it has that lag, but is that not the case with Screen Hero, or can it be? It can be. Uh, okay. Back when, so before Slack acquired it, I had a really really shady sort of connection, and uh, it definitely got grainy, and it was hard to kind of see everything. But um, but at the same time, it wasn't too bad. The other nice thing about Screen Hero is you can always see where the mouse is. So. Like on Google Hangouts, even if I'm not if I'm not pairing with somebody, if they're just showing me a presentation or something, um, one thing I, I don't like about Google Hangouts is they'll show off their code and then they'll start like pointing with the pointer with the with like the mouse pointer, but you can't actually see it because the mouse pointer is hidden. And then that's just as bad as like somebody pointing at their screen remotely, being like, <laughs> "And here is where I have." The you know blah 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 and you're like I can't see where you're pointing at all, um, so at least with with Screen Hero like I can go in even if like Henning if, if you're sharing code with me I can go in and, and highlight a couple of lines and be like what's going on here um, and you don't have to use it just for code you can use it for presentations or like you know helping some relative figure out how to you know, get a, an app working on their machine or whatever. It, it's just really, really great and, and So smooth. it sounds like they, they tried to solve the, the collaboration problem, I guess, right, mm-hmm. in, a, in a nice right. way. Yeah. Right. So instead of collaborating on some sort of off of the cloud, you're just collaborating on someone else's computer. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so it feels a little weird as well, like especially when your colleague is uh, going mm-hmm. between the windows and you're like, wait, 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 you're, you're – Futzing with my like applications. Don't uh, okay. don't look at my mail. <laughs> 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 um, uh, so there but, needs to be yeah. a, a, a good level of trust. <laughs> yeah, definitely, yeah. definitely. Although I mean, you're sitting there watching it as well. Um, okay. The uh, the only downside is 
that in order to get it, in order to get Screen Hero right now, either you need to be uh, you need to be part of a paid Slack organization, or you need to get invited by somebody else. So um, that's that's the only that's the only thing. But if like for example, if you're using Slack at your company, which ninety percent of the people that I talk to right now are already using Slack at their companies, and their companies are paying for it, then you can just go to your company Slack's name. So like, for example, we are, our, our Slack is not paid for, sorry, but if it were, it'd be reactivepodcast.slack.com slash screen hero. And so, um, so you just add slash screen hero to the end of the URL and that'll get you kind of like started on all of that. So you don't have to get an invite from anybody, but if you're not paid um, and you don't have anybody paying for you, then you're going to have to find somebody to invite you. But if you come and hang out in our Slack, we have a few people who have invitations to give out, so you could do that too. Very cool. Yeah, I can't (laughs) wait to try it. Um, That's something it's sorely, or I've been needing, so very curious to try it out. Totally, totally. All right, cool. I must say, uh, Google Hangouts are, are terrible. I mean, <laughs> they're awful. <laughs> they're really terrible. I mean, I don't understand why they're so terrible because it's Google. Like, they have good people there that know what they're doing. Appar- well, maybe not. <laughs> it's so weird because also. Well, it, was, it was good or it was cool when it came out. I mean, I remember when the, when I got my first Android, it was this thing from Motorola, one of the, I think it was the first Android phone. That was pretty, pretty awesome. Uh, of course, I didn't know on iOS at that point. Yeah, on the phone, just you know, chat. Okay. Um, but yeah, I, now they have you know, video and yeah. screen sharing and all that stuff, and it probably is, I don't know, not that creative. I guess anymore. it's because the, when you are when you have like multiple video feeds going, but even if it's just one, if you're just having a video call with one person, it, it the fans of a you know like have a good new Mac with lots of power, and still the fans go off like. <laughs> And everything on your computer slows down, and just like what? Then you know, I'm just going to use Skype because Skype works. Why? Why yeah. can't they work? It's it's very weird. Yeah. To me. Yeah. Or or Talkie.io. Have you have you tried that one yet? Yeah. It uses WebRTC. It. Yeah. You you need, they, you need they a lot of bandwidth for that though. Oh, maybe because they you recently have to send... relaunched it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like but... it's gotten better, but. Yeah. Well, you you need you need bandwidth. You need to upload your video and and other people's video at the same time or something like that. So there's a lot of traffic going there because there's, it's not there's no it's not hosted centrally. It's peer to peer. Right. Yeah. Right. 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 But other than that, it's it's nice for sure. But I I tried it to I tried to do it with two people recently, and oh. my upload is not super great. And then it was it was kind of yeah. Also, the fan went and everything was kind of slow and spotty. So, have you guys tried Blue Jeans? No, that was pretty good. Uh, so Blue Jeans is really nice, but but we tried to we we considered getting it as like our like company central uh, kind of chat application and. Uh, <laughs> Their sales team is really pushy, like oh. really pushy <laughs> to the point where we were like, so we were like, okay, we're going to test this out with one of our company meetings. And 
like we're probably 15 minutes into our company meeting and somebody from the blue jeans sales team pops in and is like, hi, I'd like to talk to you about blue jeans. And we're like, we're in the middle of a meeting. Go away. And they're like, okay, yeah, but see, here's how to do all these things. And we're like, stop, <laughs> go wow. away. And then by the end of it, we were like, that was so pushy that we want nothing to do with it at all. Like, forget it. <laughs> when wow. sales go wrong. <laughs> I wonder how that, why, how, how does that ever work? I mean, I don't yeah, piss off your know. customer I think, or your potential customer. Yeah. Maybe. I think, I think there was a, a communication disconnect um, that have. they thought that, so we thought they were letting us try out their service for our company meeting. And I think they thought that we were going to all hang out together as a company to learn about their service. Ah, yeah, and that makes sense. That's, that like the two things could not be more different. <laughs> and so as a result, there was just a lot of confusion and a lot of anger. Like, go away. Oh. Um, wow. Yeah. So anyway. Fail. Anyway. Yeah. So. We wanted to follow up okay. on uh, something. Yeah. I got a little follow-up yeah. uh, status report on uh, episode zero. We talked about uh, APIs and I asked you guys if you had suggestions for my problem and uh, basically what I wanted. Um, well, let me tell you where I'm at right now. You guys had suggested I should take a look at um, JavaScript, obviously, and Node. And um, mm-hmm. you're going to be sad now, but I didn't go there. <laughs> um, just, yeah, we're, we're trying to. <laughs> we're doing a, a sort of a, a rework of a fairly large and important application, so that's a big thing as it is. And then... Um, doing that with a JavaScript front-end client. So I guess you could say, okay, so what's what's stopping you from just going all the way? But uh, that's just one more thing to learn. And we know how um, how to manage our PHP stuff in production. And Node is something very different and new. Um, even though you say it's very easy, we didn't want to take that risk. So that's kind of on hold or put on the shelf. So we are sticking with uh, PHP in the back end. And um, I found a fairly nice, it's actually a really nice library to uh, basically generate your um, JSON API response format. And that's basically what I was going for, is trying to get uh, some good tooling to not have to write too much code to get my front end and back end talking to each other. So it's very similar to um, Ember Data, where you essentially create a, a model class that represents... Um, your payload or your your properties in your payload, and you sort of compose a response um, using those model classes. So you could have either one or more, or I guess a collection of of resources and their uh, related resources. And you just basically hand that into the the serializer, and it gives you back a properly formatted JSON API compliant response. And that is that's a huge benefit or a huge savings, I guess, um, that you don't have to do all that stuff by hand. Because if you look at the JSON, I, JSON API spec, it can get a little complex, I guess. So I've been doing that. I figured that out, how to bring that into our current API and been fiddling a little bit with uh, Ember Data 2.0. And it's just, it's nice. It all just works. <laughs> um, so very, very cool. Um so basically, I have an abstraction layer on the back end and on the front end now 
that uh, serializes into, you know, takes my ORM data um, and serializes it into a JSON API spec payload. So that is very, very cool. Um, so that's where, where I am now, and I guess what, what I really want to get to is something more like, um, you had mentioned this last time, Raquel, Swagger is one of them. Mm-hmm. And uh, then there's another one that's called Raml. And uh, that actually goes a little farther. I think Swagger is is sort of, you have your API in place already, but you can use this library to actually auto-generate documentation from it. And in addition to that, you can also auto-generate client SDKs in various languages. So if you have... Uh, your API <clears throat> server generating the API documentation, you get that plus um, it has a really neat uh, built-in sort of browser to um, to try your endpoints right in the browser. And uh, you can also generate client SDKs in various languages. So if you have some kind of um, application that needs to use it, you don't have to actually have the other team do the integration, you can generate an SDK and give it to them. And they can inter, um, or they can operate with your, your API, I guess, in a native, in a native way. And uh, RAML, that is, sort of goes from the other side. So Swagger was API to documentation. RAML is actually a RESTful API modeling language. And it lets you, and this is this is kind of what I had thought would be really cool to have. If you could just write down with maybe a smart editor to say, this is the API endpoint I want. Um, it has this uh, schema, for example. It has these query parameters. It allows get, post, put, patch, whatever. And now go and generate the documentation, SDK, and the actual a- API boilerplate code at least for me. The only thing I then have to write is essentially the code that gets um, you know, the data from the database or writes it to the database. So the data layer still have to do that. But everything above that is sort of taken care of. <clears throat> and uh, RAML seems to do that. It's, it's still very early stage. A lot of the stuff is in beta, but they have a huge um, tool set around this. So they actually have um, an editor that lets you write this. This uh, it looks like um, like YAML basically. Um, it's indented uh, format, and it lets you write that really quickly and gives you a bunch of helpers. And at the sort of on the side, on the right side, in the right pane, it automatically generates all the documentation and everything. You can so you can see in real time how your your mock API comes to life. And then you could use another tool to actually generate um, the code for that. And uh, yeah, so that looks very interesting. I haven't looked at it in depth. Um, and I don't know if we're going to go that route, but uh, it looks looks very promising. So uh, something to check out, definitely. Cool. So that's where I'm at. Cool. Sounds, right. sounds successful. Yeah, yeah. so far. It's very good. I'm happy. Even if you didn't use Node. Yeah. Someday. I, I, well, you know. Like, <laughs> it's totally like fine. I can, I can sneak it in maybe. I don't, know. don't worry. It's totally, it's, totally fine. Node is not the answer to everything. Yeah. I know. I totally just said that. <laughs> <laughs> totally oh, just my said. gosh. <laughs> I know. 
But, uh, so interesting. So basically, but you got Ember uh, set as a technology in the front end. So that yeah, was also not, a question not, uh, still, right? We're, we're working on the proof of concept, but I think with with the um, with the fact that I can show and demonstrate um, JSON API and how the tooling around it is coming together, that's mm-hmm. really the main thing. I mean, mm-hmm. it goes. You can generate things so quickly, and that then you essentially have no no work to do uh, as far as handling payloads and dealing with stuff. It just works. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's kind of you know, it's it's so nice. <laughs> I think it'll be it'll be hard to say no to that or or have any kind of argument against it. Yeah, mm-hmm. cool. Good yeah. work. Awesome. Setting, up, setting up the JSON API backend and stuff. That's great because that's yep. really that's just like that's like half half of the I don't know work with Ember basically once you have that then then yeah a lot of it is is just nice yeah exactly yeah and i i started writing that stuff by hand before i found this and that's just crazy i mean doing all the relationships the relation you know the the related uh, resources and that's just it gets really really horrible um and this way you know you have a library it's open source you got a bunch of contributors so hopefully you know that goes in the right direction and it's a php library it's a PHP library. It's, there's actually quite a few, but this one seems to be the most promising. So hmm. I already have a few ideas to do some contributions there. So hopefully that'll help out too. Um, and uh, no, I forgot what I was going to say, but uh, anyway, yeah. Cool. That's it. Sounds awesome. really good. Very cool. Awesome. Very cool. Yeah. <laughs> so. So Khalil, you you found a, a a really cool blog post. Yeah, I did. So, uh, do, are you guys familiar with the NDET people? I am. Uh-huh. I know the NDET people. They're they're <clears throat> pretty much the nicest people. <laughs> they are the nicest people you will ever meet, like mm. ever. They're just super nice and cool. really friendly and really smart. And yeah, yeah, I love you, NDET people. Exactly. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I've been following uh, Henrik Jorotek's blog posts and also his book called Human JavaScript. And uh, or I read that book back in the day when it was still just, uh, hold on. Yeah, so it was first, it was very, it was all, they, they had their own, uh, they're working with Backbone and had their own, kind of extensions written for Backbone and the book kind of covered that. And then they came out with their Ampersand JS, which is kind of a ripping apart and rewrite of Backbone into tiny little parts so that you can use it with Browserify like you would use it in Node, basically. And uh, that's all kind of uh, like Henrik that was kind of leading this the effort and... Um, so, and I was just following that. It was all very super interesting. And I really like that because they really have, I mean, his approach to writing client-side JavaScript, JavaScript is just so nice and clean and simple, but still very efficient. And um, and there's just, you can see all this experience. So there's a strong focus on keeping things simple, 
but then there's also a lot of experience that w goes into that because they've been using this they've they've used their own kind of variation on backbone for, since a long time and built all their apps with it and stuff so so that's uh so I'm a big fan of that in general and so he he posted another blog post he got into react and um as a view layer for their stuff and um and so he was he posted this blog post about redux so redux is something that somebody else came up with i think his name is dan abramov <clears throat> and he gave a talk at react europe which was just recently and react uh no uh Re reef redux is <laughs> so many weird words redux mm -hmm. <laughs> is uh inspired by flux so are you guys uh, familiar with what flux is no i know nothing about flux I've heard Please. the name and I know it's related to React, I think, but that's all I know. Well, it comes from the the same camp, so it comes from the um, Facebook people. So they they mm -hmm. kind of they kind of recommended using Flux as an architecture in order to manage the state of the application. So with excuse me, uh, so with Flux, no, with we React, you have the benefit that you can. You can, whenever the state in your application changes in the front end, you can just go ahead and re-render the whole application, right? Basically, like like a like a backend app. You send like when you when you used to send a request to the server, and the server just built this whole HTML file together and sent back the new state of that of that view or whatever so that you you can do this with so the same principle applies to react now and to to the and also basically to ember because they also have a virtual dom because the virtual dom takes care of making sure that only the things get updated that really need to get updated and you're not re-rendering the whole uh you know the whole dom in your browser because that wouldn't be very performant because of that um this whole flux architecture is kind of uh, it goes well with that architecture because they're calling it the or they because the, all the data flows into one direction and it manages the state so it's they call it the unidirectional data flow thing and and so what happens in flux is that you any act so anything that happens any event that would change the state of your application um triggers an action in your application so so that's just basically it's just like uh an event that gets gets fired like it so flux has three pieces basically there's the actions then there's the dispatcher and then there's the stores and then of course there's the view so the views so that is that is then four pieces of things and so what happens is when, for instance, you click on something and that changes the state of your application, it internally, um, the view triggers an action. It says, or f for instance, like add a task to the to-do list, right? So it says, it triggers an action, like add task. And it, that is like just um, like an event that gets fired and the dispatcher into the dispatcher and the dispatcher is also just something like an event emitter it's it's it re it sees okay a task was fired add task and then the dispatcher says to it just yells out like 
I have an action. An action was fired. Add a task. Anybody who is interested, please, you know, subscribe to this message. And then there's the data stores, or, the, or no, they're just called stores. And the stores listen to the dispatcher. So, but they only listen to the messages that they're interested in. So there's a store for tasks. Yeah, uh, for, for a task list store, for instance, that is just interested in in messages about adding tasks, removing tasks, and stuff like that. So there's this one unified address where all the stores know that they get their messages from and they can filter out the ones that they want to listen to properly, uh, that they want to listen to, basically. And um, so, the, and then what the data store does, it, or the store does, it uh, takes that message to uh, a task, there's some data attached to it, like, like the, the title of the task or something like that. It takes that and then uh, it speaks with the server, you know, stores it in the server or in local storage or whatever, however your app is built. And then when it's done doing that, it yells out, hey, I'm done, right? And then you have the views again. The views, they listen to the data stores when the data to their, you know, the data stores that they're interested in. So the task list would listen to the data store that, or to the store, sorry, that, that has to do with the, the task lists. And whenever that store says, I'm done, I just updated um, the list, then the view goes ahead and uh, takes that new data and re-renders itself. Is that clear so far? So that, that how the data flows, it, it, like the, the, the view doesn't talk directly to, to a data storage kind of managing part of the application. It just says, I have a new task and here's the title. And then it goes to this dispatcher and then you have the, the stores listening to it. Is that yeah, it makes sense so far. Okay. Okay. Yeah. <clears throat> okay. So, and Redux is kind of inspired by it, <clears throat> but, um, and so Henrik, uh, he wrote this blog post because he, he saw this talk at React Europe and he was super, I think he described it like he got the tingly feeling in his like pinky or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> and there he, and he, he first, he starts off with a list of things that gave him that feeling in his pink, little pinky or something or his little toe. And, uh, there was like, I don't know, like uh, backbone or I don't know. There were a few things. So he, he was just saying like, it was one of those things that gives him this feeling like, oh my God, this makes sense, right? This is, this is cool. Like I want to use this. And um, so Redux is interesting because it is inspired by Flux, but it's much simpler. So it, you also have actions, um, but you don't, so from, from what I get from his article, also I never tried this, you know, I'm just, this is theory again. So um, you also have actions and they shoot off like your view, whatever, shoots off, shoots off an action when, when the user does something, for instance. And then there is just one big data object. There's, there, there, are no, there are no stores for different things. There's just one blob of all the state of your application in one object. And then... Your, so your action gets triggered and sends something, some data or some event that would change the state of the application and change some of that data in that data store, in that big blob of state. 
and but in but but that blob is not getting changed directly what 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 so the the second part or the third part of this um pattern is reducers so are you familiar with the reduce function on arrays no yes so so what a reduce function does is like for instance if you want to just if you just want to add up all if you have an array of numbers and you just want to add them all up together you can call you can um you can you can you know you have that array and you call dot reduce and you pass a callback function and that callback function gets the current um the current item or and the last item and then you can do something with those two things and 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 the result of um iterating through this array is just is one value yeah so so on the first so say you have an array with 1 2 3 in it so you can say okay you just want to add them up so you have um you have your start value and you have a new value on the first iteration there's only this new value there's only one, the number 1 so it returns there's nothing else so you return the 1 and then on the second way through you have the 1 which was the last one um, which was like it, now that's like in your start value, and then you have the the number two, which is your second item in the array. You add them together, and you pass, and you return three. So that's your new number. That's your new start number. So on the last iteration, because that's now your last item, you have the number three, and you have the number three. You add them together, and you return six. And so now your array has been reduced to the number six. Clear? Yep. Okay. So apparently. This whole uh, Redux thing works with reducers. So they also, when you when you when you trigger an action, you pass some sort of a value, maybe, and then um, you have a start. Uh, you have a start value that is the value that's currently st stored in your big blob of data in your object, and then um, and then you have this new value that comes from the action, and then you write a reducer that does something with those those two values and changes the state. And then when the reducer is done with that, it changes the views. Sounds simpler, right? It's like, yeah, I needed less time to explain it. So it's, yes, <laughs> it's, it's just like, uh, you have a big blob of data, you have an action, and then you have a reducer that does something to the data, but doesn't actually, so the reducer just is, it's, Tra it takes data from that state object and transforms it and passes passes it on to the views. And uh, apparently from his article, because I didn't look into the code, I didn't, uh, I didn't uh, read into the um, documentation of Redux yet, but from his article, that's kind of the, how it breaks down. And um, and that sounds really interesting because it, it really, it, it just, it seems like there's just less stuff you have to think about it's just a couple of things and i don't know if this works for like all applications or really big applications with tons and tons of state in them um but but it's just sounds really nice and simple so i think this is a very interesting concept and it goes also hand in hand with other things that i've been seeing and looking into now for instance there is um there's this library called baobab baobab that 
is also that allows you to store all your state in one big tree. Did I talk about this the last time? You mentioned it. Yeah, before, I mentioned yeah. that. And it's also so it, that's also similar. <laughs> you have this big tree, and then you have those uh, cursors, cursors that point to branches, and you can do something with that data. Uh, but that's that's of course more complicated. There's more features in that whole Baobab system. But then there's also the approach of, for instance, I've been I've been hearing um, uh, Jafar Hussein talking about Falcor. So Falcor is that kind of be- that thing that they use at Netflix instead of Rest. And he was on J- uh, JavaScript Jabber, and he gave a nice, simple, short explanation about what Falcor is. And Falcor is, I think it's a combination of a JavaScript library and also a back, just the backend implementation of it. And so it allows you to, to in your app, in your client side application, to think of your data as one big JSON object. All of your data is in there, but all, you, all of your data is not in the client yet, but you know exactly what the structure is. And then of that JSON object, um, and you can, in your client, you can just say you can say I want to access certain properties in that JSON object, right? And if they are not there yet, what Falcor so if they're not in memory yet, what Falcor is going to do is just going to send off a request request, and then um, so if you if you query that that specific part of of your data that you want, you get a promise back. And what happens if the data is not there yet, if it's not in memory yet, you can't get it right away. So what happens in the back is that there is the request goes out with certain parameters. So the Falcor JS kind of library figures out which parameters have to go on onto uh, that request. And then, and then the backend gives you back just that, just that little bit of data that you were requesting. And then it gets, of course, cached client-side as well. And what Falcor JS also does, it makes sure that um, there's no, you don't have multiple requests going out um, if multiple views are listening or uh, requesting the same data and stuff like that. So it does all kinds of optimizations. But, um, so, but in your application, you just think of data as one big JSON object, it makes it very easy for the client side to think, to, you know, to access the data. You don't have to, you don't have rest resources or anything. There's only one resource and then there's the parameters and, um, that's how they do it at Netflix. And it's, uh, and, and something similar is also done at Facebook. Now they have this GraphQL thing. And apparently, and it's also a mixture between uh, JavaScript library and um, a backend implementation. And it's just a, it's and it's similar to the Falcor thing. It's only it's a little bit more powerful on the client side because you can say exactly how you want your data back. If it should be formatted in a certain way, if should it be HTML, should it be JSON, or whatever, and the backend will just deliver that piece of data to you. Um, uh, exactly how you need it, how you want it. So there seems to be a lot of different, you know, a uh, lot of thinking about different ways of doing REST and um, and simpler ways of thinking about state in the browser. So <clears throat> I'm trying to put this in, in where it belongs. 
um, or, or figure out how, how this relates. So um, if we go back to Redux, it's a, it sounds like it's a store or it's yeah something to to manage the application state or keep track mm-hmm. of it somehow, right? Yeah. Okay, so if, for example, in, in web applications, if you were to use the URL as, you know, the thing that basically maintains the state, because if you were to adhere to that, um, you could basically transfer that state, your state, just to another browser by simply copying the URL. Mm-hmm. What am I? I mean, I must be missing something. So, what? What is um, you know Redux, for example, doing yeah. differently or more than, for example, something like that? Yeah. So, um, with the URL um, representing the state of your application, this mostly, I think, um, can can be insufficient or getting too you know like your url can become very very long um, mm-hmm. and complicated so it might not be the best way to represent your state as i understand it redux for redux the url is also just part of the state and you can use the you can use it in combination with the router but um there's a very easy way to kind of co- to to kind of get back to the to any kind of state that you got to through actions, which is just by storing the sequence of the actions and replaying them. Because remember, your data doesn't change. Like your starting data doesn't change. And you can, it, you're writing, you're writing the, those reducers that don't change the actual data you know, in, in the JSON object. They just change the state. And um, and kind of pass reduce data, pass it onto the views, and you can go ahead and just um, and then it gets cached, of course, and then um, you can just uh, go ahead and store those sequences of actions and just replay them, and then get to a specific state that you were in before, if you're losing it at some point, or meaning that you would serialize it back to the server. Um. Yeah, for instance. Okay. Um, but, I, yeah, and I, I read something in the article where he was talking about that the URLs also are just some sort of state that gets stored or something. I'm not I'm not quite sure how it works in combination with the router. Mm-hmm. But, but, the, but the focus here is, unlike Ember, where the focus really is the router and, and the URL, and everything kind of goes... You know, starts at the at the URL and then goes down into the application. He, the focus seems to be the actions and the reducers here in the Redux pattern, and 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 routers or a router is something that you can use with that as it's well. It's just a part of it. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Okay. Yeah. Hmm. But when you look at Facebook, hmm. for instance, you don't really have any routes, right? So there's tons of stuff happening. And everything there's tons of JavaScript in the in the Facebook site, and there's tons of state. You have the you have the chat windows open and different states there. And then here's your wall or your stream or whatever. And then there's ads and all this kind of stuff happening. And um, so they they don't really solve that through through routing. They solve that with uh, apparently also with Flux. So because that's they were the guys who came up with the word and the concept for the thing and then 
with this GraphQL kind of accessing data, it, accessing the amount exact amount of data that they need in that moment with just one request, just optimizing. Yeah, I think I, I'm starting to understand what you're getting at. The Facebook example was a very good one, even though I, I don't use that. But, yeah. um, I, <laughs> um, but you've seen it. You've seen, I've seen it, versions yeah, seen it. of screenshot, and you, you know what that looks like. And exactly. Gosh, no, Facebook is... That's exactly right. I mean, even with the Twitter stream, you know, there's stuff coming in yeah. constantly. And if, if you had, as you said, various um, real-time components inside of, of Facebook with chat, et cetera, there's, there's no point in trying to to come back to the exact same state anyway because that's that's irrelevant. Right. I mean, it's, uh, you know, why would you want to do that to yeah, go exactly right. to a specific, almost like a screenshot, you know? So so I can see where 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 this makes sense. Yeah. And, and if you think about how Netflix works, for instance, you can also see why Falcor makes sense for them because mm-hmm. they have all those different views. You know, for instance, when you log into Netflix, you see all those tiny little um, thumbnails with the little metadata on top and um, the genres and stuff like that. So it doesn't make sense for them to have like this classic kind of rest thing where they have to have one request for each film or for each genre, however you would organize it. Mm-hmm. Uh, it makes sense for them to have to, you log in and you have like one request going out that gets you exactly the data that you need right in that moment, Right. Boom. Yeah. And then it's right. there. And then when you go into a different view, it gives you exactly. So, you know, if you're lucky that data is already in that big JSON blob thing. And if you're lucky, it's right there. And if, if, if it's not right there in the client, you don't really think about it. You just access it as if it would be as if it was JSON and in the back end. If it's not there, it just fetches exactly what you need and then puts it into the cache and then it's there. And for these kind of, and it's always a lot of, because they always have movie data and they have descriptions and tags and genres and images and different sizes and they need different sizes and different views. And that's all they do basically in the, in the browser. So for them, this kind of approach also makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. It's cool. Yeah. Yeah. But I, I like, I just like to, uh, I just like the, this kind of move to this to the simplicity and i think that thinking of to just having one big ball of data in your application could work for a lot of um, applications you know? yeah yeah no it's cool i think state is is the is one of the biggest pieces of web development that uh i mean just thinking from from a robotic standpoint state is one of the hardest things uh, in robotics, and so I'm not surprised for it to be one of the like more most interesting things in web development as well. Mm-hmm. Just understanding where you are and what's going on and and what's happening next, yeah, um, is is fun. How can you can you manage tricky. it simply? Yeah, 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 definitely. Mm-hmm. All right, cool. So I think I think that's most of our time right there. I think so. Yeah. Good deal. So, all right. Well, then, uh, thanks everyone for listening and hanging out with us today. Um, definitely come reach out to us on Twitter. Uh, I'm Rockbot, R O C K B O T. Definitely ping me anytime. 
And I'm and Distilled Hype on Twitter. And uh, I just wanted to shout out a few of the new Slack chat members we have in here. I think there's a guy called Eve. So shout out to Eve. And um, what is, his Twitter name is Silice. I don't know how to pronounce it. Silice. Shout out to Silice. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, I think there's a Mitch in there. Is there a Mitch in there? Yep, there's a Mitch. There's a Mitch. And Finn Teddy. <laughs> Finn Teddy. I I don't. Finn uh, Teddy. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Cool. And, so. And, and Eve. Are, exactly. Oh, you said Eve. I said okay. Eve. Cool. Yeah. So shout out to the new slackers. Yeah. Yeah. The reactive Thanks slackers. For slacking around with us. Yeah. Awesome. And you too could be hanging out with us on Slack. Exactly. Uh, Yep. So. All right. So I'm uh, H Gladergots on Twitter, and I'll talk to you guys next week. Yeah. All right. Definitely. All right. Give us good ratings on iTunes or whatever your, you know, podcasting delivery yes. system. Recommend us uh, on uh, Overcast. There's a nice ooh. recommend function there. Yeah. Excellent. All right. Excellent. <laughs> <laughs> All right, y'all. This was fun. Cheers. See y'all next week. Bye. Cheers. <laughs>